From Relativity and our Relativity One partners, this is Uncivil Procedure, the e-discovery podcast. I'm Anna Strunian, Program Manager on the Event Marketing Team, and here is your host, Relativity Discovery Council and Legal Education Director, David Horrigan. Thank you, Ms. Sarunian, and welcome to yet another exciting episode of Uncivil Procedure, the e-discovery podcast brought to you by Relativity and our Relativity One partners. Today's topic is mergers and acquisitions. There have been many great and not-so-great mergers in American history throughout the years. There's Lucy and Desi, Kim and Kanye, Nixon and Agnew, and of course, today's blissful, well-operating government of Nancy and the Donald. But today we're going to focus on something that you may not think about when you think about e-discovery. Usually when we think about e-discovery, you think litigation, people in the courtroom. Of course, that's what people usually think when they think of the law. Perry Mason and everybody goes to court. But there are many important legal operations that really don't usually end up in courtrooms. And our guest today is a longtime partner, now a senior director of legal operations, who's going to give us some insight on what a lot of lawyers are doing in the world of transactions, mergers, and acquisitions. But first, Ms. Arunian, a word from this episode's sponsor. Support for this episode of Uncivil Procedure is brought to you by FTI Consulting. FTI is an independent global business advisory firm dedicated to helping organizations manage change, mitigate risk, and resolve disputes across the business cycle, including M&A matters and regulatory investigations. Advisor to 96 of the world's top 100 law firms, FTI recently expanded their managed services offerings to provide greater control and budget predictability. Whether you want to conduct discovery on your own or prefer to fully outsource the entire function, FTI has an approach that fits you. Thanks, as always, Ms. Sarunian, and of course, thanks to our partners at FTI. And of course, FTI Consulting is a big international conglomerate, as is the FTI Technology Business Unit, where the e-discovery practice is held, where they've just got a lot of great professionals over there. Kate Holmes, Mike, the whole team, including some Relativity alumni, including Wendy King, Daryl Tashima. That's just a great group there, and we're pleased to have FTI Technology at FTI Consulting as our partners. But uh, we've got another partner, and that is the good people at Reed Smith, the international law firm with uh, offices across the globe. They, of course, have an office here in Chicago. And that is where Nicholas A. Long, Senior Director of Legal Operations, is held. Nick is a longtime partner at Reed Smith, and he is also an alumnus of an institution close to the heart of our own Constantine Pappas. That's right. Nick is an alumnus of the University of Wisconsin. Go, go Badgers. Badgers. There we go. Nicely well done. Well done. Nick, welcome to Uncivil Procedure. Thank you, David. It's great to be here. Yeah, and, um, you know, as we said uh, in the opening, people usually think of e-discovery as only litigation. They usually think of the law as only in the courtroom. But it goes way beyond Perry Mason or Matlock or any of the lawyers you see on TV. And... Um, your practice certainly goes beyond that as well. Can you tell us a little bit about your history at Reed Smith, how you came to be the director of uh, operations, and uh, tell us what you do? Sure, happy to do so. And your, your comment is well taken. The number of times that people have asked me uh, when I'm going to court, and I have to explain to them why the life of an M&A lawyer is much different than that. But uh, <laughs> uh, I, I hope to change that someday. But anyway, um, so I've been practicing mergers and acquisitions my entire career. 
Um, when I joined Reed Smith, I was doing deals as most people continue to do deals today. Um, and after a while, I started realizing that we were doing the same things over and over and we weren't doing things as efficiently as we could. So I got involved with our knowledge management teams and our technology innovation teams to try and figure out ways we could really leverage the work we're doing and leverage the tools we already have to deliver the same services faster, better, cheaper. And so I got deeper and deeper involved with those teams. And eventually I decided that became more interesting to me than the client work itself. So I finally made the switch as of January 1 this year to a full ops role. And basically my job now is to figure out ways that we can deliver our services to our clients better and how they can receive our services better and drive more value from us. You know, a lot of times they say that lawyers are the worst business people in the world. So I guess your mission is really to try to change that. Uh, it, it is a frequently used adage, and it's often very true. Um, but yes, my mission is to change that. We've got a team sitting under me um, and teams throughout the firm that are focused on really driving value, not only to make us the $1.1 billion enterprise we are, but to make money for our clients as well. You know, here at Relativity, we've got connections in many places. We're fortunate enough to do that. Uh, we've also got connections in Pittsburgh. Um, Judge Nora Barry Fisher has been a longtime member of our judicial panel. And, of course, Reed Smith's got a big Pittsburgh present. Our, our hometown. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we've had the honor of working with um, David Cohen for many years. He's going to be here on the podcast as a follow-up. But um, Reed Smith's got a lot going on. The Red Group, the e-discovery mm -hmm. group that uh, Dave heads up there. Mm -hmm. Brian Bratcher is on the West Coast. You've got Gravity Stack. Uh, how Our do all... favorite new toy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> cool name, too. How do all these pieces fit together when you're delivering legal services? We like to describe it as a seamless offering for the client. Um, what typically happens is the client will come to a relationship partner, and then that will work its way to me or to Brian or to David. And we work behind the scenes so that the client really doesn't know. The client doesn't need to know who Gravity Stack is. The client doesn't need to know the red team, so to speak. The client just needs to know that when they come to Reed Smith, they're getting a seamless solution. But the way they actually work behind the scenes is that partner will come to one of us and will say, um, yes, your client has to review 100,000 contracts in a month. We're not going to throw as many bodies as we have in the firm on that. We can use technology to leverage that review process and use relativity to oh, significantly. Thank you very much. <laughs> shameless plug for you. Thank you. Um, use relativity to to cut the review time and do the work that hundreds of attorneys would have had to do down to something that can often be done in a matter of hours. Great stuff. Um, obviously, we try to have a little bit of fun here on Uncivil Procedures, so we're not going to talk about dry corporate mergers and everything we do here. There are some interesting mergers, perhaps some entertaining ones that go on. We've got our usual motley crew of participants to help you in your adventure in the world of e-discovery and uncivil procedure, but we've also got a new member of the panel. She's not new to Relativity, but she is new to the broadcast. Jessica Gallant is Enterprise Account Executive here at Relativity. She's also a lawyer. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks, David. Now, in addition to your Relativity work, uh, you've also done some meaningful work at AmeriCorps. You want to tell our listeners a little bit about that? I'd love to. Thanks. <laughs> I worked for Volunteer Lawyers Network in Minneapolis, where I would work in our clinics and assist people with a variety of legal matters. Excellent. And, of course, we've got two other members of the Motley crew who are no stranger to our listeners. First, we have Julie Huner Esquire, who is Customer Success Manager here at Relativity. Julie, welcome back again. It's great to be back. Thanks for having me again. 
now that I've got the mic, I'd like to take an opportunity here to ask Nick, who claims to be a fan of the podcast, uh, who's your favorite panelist? Well, the answer, I think, is Constantine, but under threat of physical violence, I'm going to go with Julie. Nice <laughs> answer. Ah. I knew I liked this guy. And of course, partnering with our other two panelists and with Nick is the man, the legend, Constantine Pappas Esquire. Constantine, as usual, welcome to the broadcast. And of course, Constantine uh, serves as the senior manager of Relativity Solutions. Thank you, David. Uh, and I just want to do a shameless plug real quick to say we are hiring. So if you have a, uh, an RCA, Relativity Certified Administrator, and you love advising people on relativity workflow, give us a, give us a call. With the caveat that they'll have to work with you. What? But, <laughs> but they, 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 I, I'm some people's favorite when violence is not involved. Fair, fair. <laughs> So you've heard it here first. Get those resumes in. Uh, we're always expanding the team here at Relativity. Nick, as we mentioned, um, there have been some good and bad mergers over the years. Um, and, you know, depending on one's perspective, ExxonMobil was one of the good ones. Of course, um, I'd always heard there was a bit of a culture clash. And perhaps that the Exxon side was a little bit more buttoned up and conservative than the mobile side. And upon information and belief... I was told that when the Exxon people took over, they put speed bumps in the mobile parking lot because those wild and crazy mobile people were just a bit too heavy on the gas pedal. But Constantine, you might actually have some inside knowledge of ExxonMobil. I, uh, as, a, as a very young attorney, I worked on uh, due diligence for that merger at the mobile headquarters in Virginia when I used to live in D.C. Now, we're not asking you to violate privilege, but... Oh, there... I'll do it. I don't care. Oh! Um, <laughs> no, no, this is, not, this is not particularly um, salacious or sensitive information, but obviously when you have uh, global uh, businesses with a presence, you know, pretty much everywhere in the in in, uh, in every like city in every you know part of the country, um, they had a situation where they had like on every street corner an Exxon across the street from a mobile station, and they had to figure out which ones they were going to keep. And so our job doing due diligence was to go through the leases of each of them and see which ones had uh, restrictive covenants. It was really about whether they could sell beer. Mm -hmm. Ah, so <clears throat> and that would be the one they would keep, right? So. But these leases were really, could be really, really old. Some of them were handwritten from like, you know, the turn of the century. They weren't even obviously filling stations because it was like pre-automobile age. Um, and they were called lubratoriums. <laughs> <laughs> and you can make your own joke about that, but it's a real thing. Um, this is a family is show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they all, they all went down to the lubratorium together, I guess. But, right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. So, but it was very, it was very interesting stuff. Um, I I learned a lot doing that due diligence because it's just like those documents were ancient. I mean, obviously they would be just uh, an OCR nightmare. Yes, <laughs> but uh, relativity was, could handle it though. Well, of course. I would be remiss if I did not mention that this due diligence exercise could have been drastically shortened with the benefit of relativity software and our reviewing attorneys. <laughs> nice. Shameless plug. Nice plug. How much do we love Nick Long? I know. Yeah. Extra yeah. swag for him. Um, 
You know, Nick, um, and we're not going to ask Councillor Pappas to violate privilege, and we're certainly not but, going but to But again, ask... I will do it. Yes, he'll do it. <laughs> Clearly. But uh, yes, uh, Councillor Long, we're certainly not going to ask you to violate privilege, but any juicy M&A stories you can share? Well, uh, one comment I would like to say, your, your comment about culture is a good one, because we obviously see transactions up until the point they close, and a lot of where things fall apart is afterwards when proper integration isn't done. And a great story from my own personal experience is I was the product of a law firm merger. And I was with a firm that was predominantly Jewish. I was at one of a handful of Gentiles. And the other firm was sort of a white shoe firm. And they decided to have a big kumbaya get-together just after the merger. And the catering was a pig roast. Oh. <laughs> so uh, get your post-merger integration done properly and study culture. I think wow. is the takeaway from Noted. That. Yeah, that was an interesting day. Jessica Gallant, any bad mergers in your lifetime? Doesn't have to be a legal merger. It could be a, I don't know, second grade boyfriend. Or... <laughs> we'll, we'll stay away from that. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't have any like personal stories of mergers. I guess ones that I particularly don't like or anything with like the airline industry. Just as someone who has to travel a lot, and I think yeah. U.S. Airways, American, recently merged, and I always just wondered what was going to happen to my miles and my loyalty points, and it's never good for the consumers. And our friends in Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And our friends in Houston, and of course, we're sitting here in Chicago, so we're not going to say bad things about Continental and United, but uh, I loved Continental. Mm-hmm. Counselor Huner. I so unlike Constantine, I don't have a particular merger that angers me. Um, especially like on the, the corporate side. I will say though there's something you alluded to at the beginning of the broadcast that very much unsettles me, which is the Kim Kardashian Kanye West merger. Uh, You're talking about the future president of the United yeah. States, though. Let's, let's no. not put, put that out there. I, I believe you got to put the, the positive out in the universe. Okay. Um, but yeah, so that, that bothers me a little bit, I'm not going to lie. The, that I were two people I didn't necessarily uh, enjoy so much, even separate, and now that they've oh, become this oh, conglomeration. I, I, if only there were pre-merger clearance for things like that, Indeed. the world would be a better place. Yeah. No See, one asked you, Julie? <laughs> no one asked me, which is shocking. Julie, I misinterpreted that so badly. I thought you didn't like that merger because you were pining away for Kanye and hoping you... you it's know. glad... Oh. It, yeah, I'm glad that you're clarifying that because definitely not. No. <laughs> yes. Miss Arunian, you certainly must have a merger in your life. She's shaking her head no way. I just agree with the Kanye and Kim thing. Yeah. Uh, Two, like, crazy conglomerates that now just take over the world, it feels yeah. like. It's like... I don't know. They're just... Do do more good in the world. And I feel like know? that's the prediction, too, is the divestiture of that that relationship, because I don't think that's going to end well. No. Yeah. So we'll just call it now in 2019. That, uh, yeah. yeah. We'll touch base in 10 years and see what, see what happened there. Listeners, you cannot see the look of complete and utter disgust on the face of Constantine Pappas Esquire, <laughs> but he cringes every time I manage to weasel the Kardashians into this broadcast because a lot. I don't <laughs> like to feed their fame machine. He doesn't and back in my day, we had Michael Jackson and Lisa Marie Presley, and that oh, Lisa that was a true mismatch. That was couple not a real was. merger. That was a publicity stunt. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to impugn the true love that is the Kanye West At least Kim they Kardashian do have children together. 
Now, Miss Sarunian, presumably you have evidence of that. Yeah. Well, that's fair. Presence. That's fair. Miss Sarunian is a marketing program manager. Do you really think the marketing people created Jacko and Lisa Marie? You know, at this point, I wouldn't put anything past people ne- today. I guess back then, I don't know if I would feel the totally. same. Totally. Yeah. That was all for you show. You thought that was love? I don't wasn't even around. I was going to say Anna like, wasn't I alive. Was, yeah, so my opinion is not. She all wanted that to now. advance her singing career, and he wanted to like be connected to Elvis Presley's like legacy. legacy. Well, that's the entertainment industry for you. It's all bullshit. Oh, well, yeah. fine, but I'm saying it clearly show. was not. Yeah. Love. We can say shit, right? <laughs> Nick, uh, oh, wait you, a minute. <laughs> Nick, what do you think would have happened if Elvis had still been alive at the time of the Jacko Lisa Marie merger? I think there would have been some significant family drama. Yes. Maybe some disowning. Right, right. More Graceland visits. Indeed. Um, Yes, and uh, I can just see Priscilla, Elvis, Jacko. uh, The Jackson 5 could have been the wedding entertainment. That sounds like a rockin' wedding, though. I guess they eloped, though. Literally a rockin' wedding. Yeah. All right, panelists, it's time for our first game, Stump the Panel. We are going to uh, have some questions about topics that relate to our topic of mergers and acquisitions. Uh, let's see. I guess because it's your first broadcast, Jessica, you should get the first question. Here it goes. When Time Warner merged with this company in 2000, the pair were two of the communications titans of their time. But the market changed rapidly, and the acquired company went from a $165 billion value in the Time Warner deal to a mere, meager $4.4 billion. That just still seems like a lot of money to me. But anyway, you see the drop, $165 to $4.4 billion when it was purchased by Verizon 15 years later. What company was it? I'm afraid this might be a softball, and I'm going to get it wrong. Is it AOL? Ding, 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 ding. She is correct. All right. She's making me look bad. I'm just, <laughs> I don't think I've ever gotten one of these right. I'm still mad about that merger. It just makes me so angry. I don't... I, they you're bought, really They mad bought the, the, one of the greatest media companies with a bunch of fake money. It just makes me furious. How to destroy value 101. Oh, my God. I can trump your trauma. I feel your pain. I uh, was counsel for the magazine Publishers of America. Let's just say the good people at Time were not too pleased about that. And um, yeah, not one of the great successes in the world of mergers. All right. Well, um, as Jessica knows, known originally as America Online, AOL dominated the internet, and upon information and belief from Consular Pappas, used some funny money to take over the big giant titan up in New York. All right, now we're moving on to our second question. Let's go with Constantine. All right, let's do this. Which three industries have the most M&A activity? I need to give three answers. All right. You do, yeah. Hmm. And because it's out of the blue, you get more than three guesses. Okay. I'll say media companies. Is that is that a category that's specific enough? Well, would you like a hint first? Okay, sure. Despite heavy consolidation in recent years, e-discovery is not one of them. That's the hint. That that helped a lot. <laughs> well, yeah. That was uh, my guess. Uh, <laughs> I thought e-discovery was one of the biggest. All right, let's move to another hint. 
you'll see a mix of fancy suits, steel-toed boots, and beanie hats among these employees. Hipsters? Ah, Miss Cerunian! An astute guess, but wrong. Sorry, I didn't mean to steal your thunder. Just uh, came out. <laughs> I wasn't going to guess hipsters, so I'm, I'm glad we got that out there. So it's not hipsters and it's not e-discovery. Just Suits, steel-toe boots, and beanies. Uh, finance? Uh, you know, Constantine, I think you get a ding, ding, ding for that one. All oh. right, he's got one of three. Now the pressure is on. Okay. Um, now, saying that e-discovery was incorrect may have been a bit misleading. Were you lying to me? I was never lying to you, Constantine. If you know I find that. out that you've been lying to me. You're going to get me disbarred? <laughs> I'm, I don't know. I probably won't do anything. Oh, thanks, Pat. Appreciate that. <laughs> Kumbaya. Um, so expand the e-discovery universe for your next guess of an industry. Uh, we're just talking about the legal field in general, the, the law, law firms. Oh, legal technology, legal tech. Just technology. Okay. Ah, oh. see, this Sorry. is what you call teamwork. Nick, do you? I was going to jump in there, but well, I was. Yeah. I was trying to work my way. Out, I thought tech, tech was too big, so... Yeah. But okay. also, law firms is, like, a really good guess. That was it my guess. guess. I thought it was yeah. a good guess. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Nick, at Reed Smith, do your teams work in gel like this? Do you see the teamwork going on like you Usually see Usually much better. Usually much better, yeah. <laughs> I, I would hope so, actually. Okay, so that All makes right. for mine. You guys have to talk So we have <laughs> finance, we have technology, and then the third thing. I still think media might be one of them, but you tell me. Uh, media is a great guess. This one, I have to admit, is overly broad. The category is industrial. Mm. And so um, we're going to give you that one because it's just too broad. But um, I don't know if that fits, but okay. I'll take yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Take All right. So now we have Julie Huner. My favorite panelist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell me the answers. <laughs> She has seen Jessica Gallant come in here. Ah, oh, Gallant, man. You know, I've just got this whole thing about Camelot going on in my head. And <laughs> Sir Galahad coming in. But uh, it's Gallant, not Gallant. Um, Julie, you're up. Right. And I know how to say Huner. Um, here's your question. Yeah, Mergers are also sort of a thing in the animal kingdom. What is a liger and how is it different from a tigon. Well, a liger would be a, a combination of a, a lion and a tiger. <laughs> um, she's she's rolling. She's rolling. She's almost there. And I, <laughs> Jessica Gallant is not going to put her to shame. I, I know the difference has to do with which one's the male or the female, but I honestly don't know. Like, like the lion is the... I suspect it's like the head and body configuration. Oh, you think so? That's my oh. guess. Since you jumped all over my question, okay. I thought I didn't well, let's go with that. It's not jumping over, it's teamwork. Sure. So the liger, we think, has the lion head, tiger body? I just remember the liger from Napoleon Dynamite was like, it's only just my favorite animal ever. Uh, I thought it was like a lion head and a tiger body, but I can't remember. All right. a very crude well, pencil let's drawing. let's go with that. I'm going to go with it. I trust Constantine. He's never let me down. Kumbaya, my yes. team, kumbaya. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, the Liger was made a household name by Napoleon Dynamite yes. in 2004. Wow. Sure as heck was. Uh, but biologists agree these hybrids and others of the sort, like leopard-jaguar crosses, are at high risk of genetic problems. They really are. So I, here, here's a fun fact. When I was a kid, I used to show dogs. We went to dog shows. Of course you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I... 
in a suit. Also, why did, why yeah, did you I, give if that I had to like list? visualize somebody, <laughs> I think it would just kind of be you. I think that's um, about right. You ever seen the movie Best in Show? Like ten a times. times. Yeah, that is arguably the most well-researched movie I have ever seen. Every single character in that movie, I could name a few people. <laughs> Um, there are the yuppies who met at Starbucks and had their Wyman Reiner who used to who eventually bit the judge. There are the country folk who come <laughs> on and win. There are the people with way too much makeup. Um, and certain personalities go towards certain breeds. Mm-hmm. We had Afghans and Beagles. So um, we were bipolar because those two groups are very different. But I digress. And that never happens nah. on this show, of course. Can we talk about that in the next podcast? I think that should be our theme. Yeah, yeah. we're going to need pictures, <laughs> yes. and maybe some videos of baby Horrigan yeah. showing, um, showing tiny beagles around yeah. the... Uh, funny, those photos do exist. And um, our old colleague, Jackie Madden, actually has one of them. Flaherty. Ah, uh, you know, <laughs> see, I am stuck in 2009. Um, Can't get a last name right. And yeah, and that is no offense to her husband, Counselor Flaherty, because Brian Flaherty is a great guy, and um, they're both great people. But uh, yeah, Jackie is in possession of that photo, so we may be able to find it. We'll hunt her down. <laughs> Beautiful. That's great. I can't believe you showed dogs. <laughs> no, awesome. I love How did you just now learn right. this? How is episode six the time movie now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's I can so picture good. you announcing at a dog show, um, too. Oh, no, right. I just feel like that should still yeah. be what you do. Yes. I, I, I've actually done the announcing part, too. And here is the Bernie's Mountain Dog, winner of the working group. Um, oh, I've been man. transported there. How yeah. old were you? Excuse me? How old were you? Oh, I started when I was about 10. Oh, my God. <laughs> and um, like when, when Jackie saw that picture, um, Jackie's, <laughs> her simple deadpan response was, this explains so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to need to see that. I know a surprising amount of people that have done that. Really? really? Like, it's such a weird... Yes, I, I think I know four people now, including you, that have showed dogs when they were younger. Anyone else that works here? No. Okay. Maybe we just like attract. <laughs> look them, at right? the look on her face. <laughs> Please warn me if they exist. It's a fun fact, though, for sure. I'm sure there yeah. are people that. I know. knew zero people until today. Same. I know this is my first. Same, but I've thought about entering my dog because oh. he's very adorable. Well, you can get some tips, but not purebred. So, <laughs> sweet little Teddy. Yeah. Put him in a little outfit. All right, Counselor Long, we're now about to go into a test of your legal knowledge, but don't worry, we never embarrass guests because these questions are so whacked out. If you did know the answers, we'd be really worried about you. Ms. Sarunian, perhaps you can explain to Counselor Long what the game is. For sure. So each of our panelists will tell a story about a merger or acquisition. Two of these mergers are real and one is made up. Pick the panelist whose merger or acquisition is fake, and you'll win some Relativity swag. I like swag. All right. Let's do this. So we're going to start with Constantine. Sure. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. This is the history of the M&M-Mars merger. Okay. So first we'll talk about Mars. Uh, Mars Candy Factory was founded by Franklin and Ethel Mars in Tacoma, Washington in 1911, and they returned to their home state of Minnesota uh, in 1920. Later on, their son Forrest created the first big hit with the Milky Way in 1923. Fun fact, it's called Milky Way because it was designed to taste like a milkshake. Mm. Yeah. I thought it was the galaxy. This is... No. You learned something on this show. This is... Wait, it gets more interesting. Ah. So they moved to Bakersfield, California in 1929. That's where they stayed headquartered. 
Their next uh, big hits were Snickers in 1930, Three Musketeers in 1932. These, these candy bars are a lot older than I thought they were. Um, okay, so that's the Mars side, M&M side. So there's a Sicilian chocolatier that's been around for centuries called Modica. That's the family. Marco Modica emigrated to the U.S. in 1913. Uh, like I said, his family had been in business for centuries in the old country. He ended up in New York City, but actually um, paid for his passage across the Atlantic by working on the Panama Canal. This was very common for immigrants to uh, work on the Panama Canal to, to get to the U.S. When he was working in the tropics, he saw English uh, soldiers eating a candy called Smarties which are th these little chocolates covered with a hard candy shell uh, that prevent the chocolate from melting in hot temperatures. So he finally made it to the States. He learned the process. It's called hard panning. Fun fact, if you want to impress your, your candy-loving so friends. Yeah. Yeah. Jeopardy, if you ever get, you know, yeah. called And so then questions. in 1941, he created his own brand, just using his initials, M.M., uh, but added the ampersand a few years later because that's how people were asking for it in stores. So onto the merger. In World War II, chocolate was a very heavily rationed uh, substance. Um, and so the Hershey people in Pennsylvania actually were able to maneuver controlling the whole chocolate supply. Um, and that weakened M&M and Mars, but especially M&M because they were, you know, not as established. So in 1944, the two companies merged and they kept Modica, uh, Marco Modica, as the head of R&D for several years. Wow, cool stuff. Now, Julie Huner, Constantine Pappas may be Nick Long's favorite panelist, but if you give Nick a good question, perhaps you can ascend to the throne of Nicholas Long's favorite panelist. All right. I don't know if I can top Constantine, uh, but I do always like to let our guests know I would never lie to you. <laughs> this is a true story. <laughs> Uh, this is about the Dixon Ticonderoga Company, Ooh. which you may know better as the company that makes those yellow pencils that you use. Oh. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to call them Dixon just for for sake of my own sanity of not having to say Ticonderoga a bunch. It's uh, a fun word, though. It is. It is, it is a fun one. Uh, but they're the oldest manufacturer of pencils in the United States, so that's also a fun fact, and keep that in your trivia bank. Uh, they were originally known as the Joseph Dixon Crucible Company. Ouch! And they were founded by Joseph in Crucible. 1827. It's one of uh, America's largest, or not largest, sorry, oldest corporations, which is also another fun fact. Um, over the next 200 years, we're going to talk about S-curves on the business side of pencil mm -hmm. manufacturers. <laughs> they, uh, they really got into the American Revolution, were huge proponents of it, but the problem was that the soldiers did not really adapt to the idea of a pencil. They really liked the, the quill. Um, they were still kind of embracing that. But then during the Civil War, those soldiers figured out that it was much easier on a battlefield to write with a pencil. So that's really where they hit their S-curve and started taking off. And then they plateaued a little bit, and they were like, where are we going to find our next you know, market and decided to merge with, this is where our merger comes into play, the American Crayon Company, not to be confused with Crayola, this is the American Crayon Company, uh, in 1957. And from that point on, they actually have become one of the largest and oldest school supply manufacturers for the United States. Impressive. Um, so we move on to Jessica for our final story of mergers. Last but not least, 
All right. The Pennsylvania Railroad and the New York Central Railroad sound like squares on a Monopoly board. However, these railroads were part of one of the worst mergers ever attempted. Under the leadership of Alfred Perlman and assisted by a young and eager management team, New York Central's operations were running smoothly. At the same time, the Pennsylvania Railroad, under the control of Stuart Saunders, was feeling the pains of modernization. Air travel was beginning to cut deeply into their passenger business on the East Coast, and the duo determined in 1962 that a merger between them would keep them both financially strong in the long run. The merger took six years to complete and was approved in 1968. However, in the meantime, the once eager management team from New York Central left for greener pastures. Control was handed over to the team from Pennsylvania, and during those six years in limbo, any opportunity for a smooth integration was missed. In the merger, the management team capitulated to almost every demand by government regulators and unions, and as a result, Penn Central had over 180,000 employees on its payroll. The merger was so poorly managed and integrated that most of Maine's 1969 potato crop rotted in a train yard. Oh my gosh, my people had another potato family? (laughs) That's the fun fact in this one. You've got to diversify the diet there. Yeah, no doubt. (laughs) The trains regularly derailed. The merge systems were so out of sync that trains were regularly lost while tracking across the system. At the lowest point, it was losing a million dollars per day. And in two short years after the merger, they went into bankruptcy proceedings. In 1970, it was the largest bankruptcy of its time. So another litigation, I guess, for this for these teams. Um, by 1976, the assets of the railroad were taken over by the federal government, and Penn Central was no more. Alfred Perlman, who once controlled New York Central, was quoted as saying, this wasn't a merger, it was a takeover. All right. Nicholas Long, power lawyer with the power firm of Reed Smith. The pressure is now on. You've got three M&A stories here. You've got all that we learned about candy bars being non-galactic but having to do with milkshakes. You've, of course, got the railroad story you just heard. And you've got the story of pencils and crayons. It's a tough one. Uh, Julie said she'd never lie to me. Ah! Uh, was that a lie? Is what a, <laughs> is what a liar would say. It is, it is indeed what a liar would say. Um, and I'm a big fan of M&M's, so I'm going to have to go with Constantine on this one. Oh, Constantine, you are the favorite. Miss Sarunian is Counselor Long's trust in his good friend, Constantine. Well placed? It is indeed. Wow. Does this mean swag? It, would, it, it yeah. does mean. Yeah. So, so a couple things about that story. First of all, it would shock you how much of it was actually true, um, except for all of the Modica stuff. Although there is a family called Modica in Sicily that is known for making chocolates. I was very thorough in my research. <laughs> I see that. The Panama Canal story is actually my own family history, because my, ah. my grandfather uh, paid for his way from Greece by working on the Panama Canal. Sounded so. too close. Wait, to you're not Italian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not. <laughs> Can no. you? Constantine us... is a Roman name. So. <laughs> was the Smarties thing? Smarties real? thing was real were... too. Oh my gosh! But I didn't they, think they were chocolate. It was the it was the Mars. It, it was the one of the Mars people that saw um, British soldiers in the a Spanish Civil War or something like that with hmm. Smarties. Have you seen they now have coffee nut M and M's? Really? Really. Yes. With they caffeine? Are. They have them at Target. I did not check the caffeine oh, content. Um, we got some wired little kids going on. Yep. Yeah. They, they also have delicious. Nutella 
Oh, okay. Don't tell so we my have kids an M&M party. <laughs> let's just all bring in a yeah. different kind. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just heard about Can it. Can we take a break? Yeah. yeah let's go they get probably some. probably sold out. <laughs> Wait, but Smarties are like sweet sure. Yeah. yeah. No, right? you're thinking of U.S. Are, Smarties. Like those, Smarties. These are Smarties in 1930 that British soldiers were using. It probably evolves over time. Like a proprietary something on the I, I don't yeah, think there was like a copyright to it. You said you did very extensive research. I didn't yeah, s- research everything on Smarties, uh, but that's what they were, that's what he observed. Fair enough. You want to hear a tragic corporate story on candy. Um, <laughs> oh, no, no, this, no. Is, this is no. a great segue. <laughs> no, it is. David Horgan, raconteur. Go ahead. Yeah, um, we digress again, but this is important because it's going to affect all of America. Um, the New England Confectioner Company, um, through corporate buyouts, et cetera, has now gone kaput. You're like, well, who cares about them? Well, they are the company that produced. But they're back. Oh well, yeah, they got yeah. Oh. Did they? Are they back? back. Well, they produced Necco wafers and those little conversation sweet hearts. hearts. Yeah. There was just an article in the paper that, that yeah. somehow that got saved, so there will be those oh. god awful candy hearts yeah. for they're Valentine's just, Day. It's not horrible. It's chalk. I mean, they don't taste good. They taste like, like chalk. But you have to have them. Right, you have to. You have to have them. But yeah. I don't never think eat you do. Them. Right. <laughs> You know, when I fly into Logan Airport, you have to pass the Neko factory that has been shut down for a while, so I'm glad they're all going to have their jobs back. But, um, yeah, those candies are pretty stale, and you had to make sure you had one for each kid in your class or... A few, I guess, because they're kind of small. But um, well, one sweetheart per person. Yeah. <laughs> the worst Valentine's Day. Is, is it? St- uh, my kids still have. Well, my daughter is, has aged out of it. But like the whole mandatory Valentine. Oh yeah, I just bought them last night. That is just the weirdest thing. What are you? What are you trying to? You don't want little teach. Johnny to be left out. And what if Susie's in the corner and gets nothing? But You're then why? Why Thomas. do it at all? Why? I mean, why for little kids? Why mandatory Valentines? I mean, I don't get it. I'm sorry. Why do you not like little kids? I, I like little kids. <laughs> Why do you hate freedom? I don't like forcing little kids to observe a romantic holiday. Do you not like participation trophies? Yeah, yeah Nick, that's I a good don't. question. Well, you've listened to the podcast. You know how me and other people's kids get along. Not <laughs> um, Constantine, there, there has to be a standard of excellence. I agree. And so not everyone should get a candy. I, so here's the thing. When I was a kid growing up, I wanted to give everyone a valentine. Because I didn't want someone to feel left out. It didn't have to be Aww. mandatory. You were kind. Being so a decent sweet. person. You're a much nicer person than me. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'm saying why use val- Why have Valentine's Because they were at my all? friends. And I wanted to be like, hey, thanks for being my friend. Like, Everyone in your class. So she's friends? buying yeah. friends. Why right. have an officially sanctioned Valentine exchange in a school is my point. Why not? If you I wanted to give Valentine's right. to your friends on your own time, no one was preventing you. How many friends did you have growing up, Constantine? <laughs> Well, I'm taking your Valentine back. I'm just gonna say okay, I, I purchased it months ago. May I have his Valentine? What you gotta do. Sure. Yeah. Hey, it's thanks. one conversation heart. Hey. <laughs> and it's probably stale because it's from third grade or whatever. Yeah. But you yeah. saved it all right. It and says "Be kind." That uh, was meant for Constantine. Yeah. <laughs> I had it custom made for uh, Constantine. The, the message would have been lost. Be kind, on me. CTP. <laughs> uh, wait, I did have one question though for Nick. Is Constantine still your favorite panelist, given that he just lied to you? You're really going for this, wow. aren't you? Yeah. Just we're going to circle. Full circle. It's the podcast to... version of grade grubbing, and I wouldn't fall for it if I were you. Uh, you know what? Let's re- revisit the question at the very end. Okay. Wow. Okay. Because they were going like a well-oiled machine. I thought we were going to see some PR announcement tomorrow. 
We're pleased to announce the law firm of Long and Pappas LLP. Well, he was just trying to get people to apply for his team. That's so. true. They're going to have a tech division there at Long and Pappas. I don't have an RCA. Sir, <laughs> oh, I trust you to make your own decisions without any sycophantic interference. <laughs> she is the closest to me, so it's a little threatening. Yeah. <laughs> She's scary. She is. I get that a lot. All right. Well, luckily, Nick Long gets some swag. And speaking of great swag... It's time for another word from this episode's sponsor, the people with great swag at FTI Consulting. Support for this episode of Uncivil Procedure has been brought to you by FTI Consulting. Using Relativity One, FTI helped a client comply with an HSR second request involving more than 5 terabytes of data in just 10 weeks. With Relativity One services in the U.S., Brazil, and the U.K., and as the first to offer the technology in Hong Kong among their global portfolio of solutions, FTI is well-positioned to serve both local customers and cross-border clients with the adaptability and security that Relativity One provides. Thanks, Ms. Sarunian. Time for predictions in the world of transactions, mergers, and acquisitions. How about Julie Huner's prediction for this episode? Yikes. So, um... This one's not super well thought out, like most of mine usually are, but I was thinking about... Of course uh, they are. Yeah, right. Uh, The idea of mergers and thinking about what's super successful um, right now out there. And I'm thinking about the whole cannabis industry and the Ah. potential for mergers there. Um, I think there's some legitimate ones, but I think it's more exciting to talk about things like them, you know, merging with like snack companies and like that kind of thing. Um, But yeah, so I think that's what I'm going to go with just because that's really taking off and all the legalization and and stuff that's been happening lately, I feel like there's going to be some some pretty good stuff happening there. Doritos Doritos and weed is like the perfect vertical integration. Mm. Yeah. Get it on both ends. You know, you just couldn't ask for a better combination. Well done. I can can see Amazon getting in on that, too. Oh, yeah. Amazon Prime for your cannabis. Yeah. Yeah. They started to do that with CBD oil. And, like, I don't know if it's, like, been started to merge with, like, actual, like, different companies, but, like, they they, there's now all of these, like, different types of CBD products out there mm-hmm. that like peanut butter for dogs that oh. like have anxiety and like things like oh, that. I've heard of that. Wow. Dog treats, things. Yeah. Wow. Boxers and bongs. There's a merger. Um, <laughs> it might have saved you out of a strange situation oh, like back at a dog show one. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> indeed. It could have pacified the dog. Yeah. You would have won that ribbon, and you never would have ended up in this situation. You could have calmed some of those personalities you met. Yeah, exactly. Now, uh, Nick and Constantine are both attorneys, so I am not asking you to admit to any crimes. But uh, legalization is going on everywhere. But I'll it do it. I'll, I'll oh, do whatever crimes you want me to. Hey, rock on. But I have always heard this legendary tale at the University of Wisconsin of the hash bash. Had you ever seen it? Hypothetically, of course. Hypothetically. Had you ever seen it or seen people who went to it? So uh, if I I know that there was like a sort of an open and notorious like smoke pots on the Capitol steps oh, annual okay. event. I don't know if that's the hash bash or something else. But that was a real thing. It wasn't uh, shrouded in mystery. It was very, like I said, it was a very well-known event in which I did not participate. Noted for the record. All I know is down in law school in Gainesville, Florida, um, there were University of Florida people said, wow, road trip to Madison. Um, But then there were these reports that the police usually turn the other cheek, but one year they decided to bust this thing. And then people are like, why, dude, Why? And then apparently, that's how like all stoners right talk. Right. <laughs> yeah. like, apparently, like I'm watching Dazed and Confused right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> apparently, one local Madison radio personality was like, 
Why are they doing this? There's no need. All the police would have to do is load up a flatbed truck with frozen pizzas and Hostess <laughs> Twinkies, and all the people would follow them to jail. That is such a, like, cliche. <laughs> you are so square, man. <laughs> Dude. Dude. Oh. Dude. We're ragging on the stoners. All right. How should my buzz? Um, Going from buzz kills to Jessica. Jessica, <laughs> your prediction. I think that's a compliment. I'm never coming back. <laughs> oh. All right, right mine's not as fun. But the one that I've been hearing a lot about, I think it's been going on for three or four years now, is Viacom and CBS. Now, that's a weird one because it's like the parent cannibalizing Mm -hmm. the child. I mean, I'm sorry, the child cannibalizing the parent. Yep. Yeah, wow. So you think they're going to get back together, unhinge themselves, and bring us new great programming like Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman? (laughs) I don't know. That would be be pretty fun, but... eh. Now the dad got kicked out. Yeah. yeah. So, is the dad still breathing? I mean, no oh, offense to Mr. Redstone, but he's alive. But oh, okay. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Mr. Redstone was the head of the thing, and then his daughter took over, and then his daughter and the board had their oh, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 like an episode of Dallas or mm. Dynasty or. I don't know. Speaking of quality succession. Television program. <laughs> it sounds like Succession. Did you watch that show? That was I a did great not. Show. Yeah? And was... I am exhibiting self-control by not mentioning any television broadcast that begins with a K. Uh, Kardashians? Oh! Okay. All right. So we've got Cannabis. We've got Viacom. Constantine Pappas, batter up. This is kind of a nerd dream of mine. Wow. I don't, and I don't know if it actually would be a good thing, other than I think that it would consolidate certain aspects of my life. But I'd like to see uh, Apple and Nintendo merge. Oh, and create what? Like what's, what's the nerdy thing <laughs> Apple that you'd Tendo. like to see? Well, no, I mean Nintendo. <laughs> uh, Nintendo typically makes great software and great games. Their hardware is has been a little spotty over the years, although their latest thing, the Switch, is a really big hit, and my kids are... Blowing in the cartridge wasn't like a... No, that wasn't very successful, but I, I, but I would like to see, I guess, Nintendo become a purely software company and, put, and have it be compatible with Apple hardware. Fair. That's cool. Hmm. I like that. Wow, cool. Ms. Cerunian, care to make a prediction on M&A? I don't know if it's a prediction or more just like an I wish, but like we have Apple or we have YouTube TV, we have Netflix, we have Hulu, we have HBO now. Like I just wish I could do like one thing. And I know that was what cable was, but like cable's a ripoff and we now pay probably exactly what we would pay to have cable to have all of these other things, but you can have them on demand, which I love. Mm -hmm. So like I would just like for all of that stuff to be in one place or like one app. I know that makes me sound like I just. I well, have and such Disney a hard time is coming switching. soon, and they're going to clobber some people. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. the yeah. Disney streaming service is the the three big ones. My prediction for the year is one of them will not survive you Disney. Here. Really? Yeah. Who do you think is going to be the one that falls off? My pick is Hulu. I agree. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I yeah. love Hulu. I love it's probably Hulu. my favorite. Yeah. I don't see Amazon going anywhere, and I don't see Netflix going anywhere, but I could see Hulu getting absorbed into Disney or something else. They're so cheap, too. They just cut their price. Like, it's like the opposite of what other ones are doing. Yeah. Huh. Like, Netflix, you know, just raised theirs, and Hulu dropped theirs to, like, five ninety nine or something. What? Yeah. 
Wasn't Hulu free for a long time? There was a free version yeah. of Hulu, yeah. Which is a pretty bad business model. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think so. Well, now Facebook is doing like their own streaming Facebook they watch. Are. I don't even understand how the those? interface works. I, I kind of backed into it once by accident because there was like an ad and I clicked on it and I'm like, oh, this is how you're supposed to do it? Like it was like, it's such a weird afterthought the way that they've constructed the, the access to that streaming content. I feel like Facebook is just having an identity crisis yeah. and they're not really sure what to do at yeah. this point. But yeah, I don't see that taking off. Do they have their own content? No, but no. they have European no, regulators after them. There is an original Who doesn't show have European regulators after them? Well, that's yeah. a good yeah. point. Live, or Facebook Watch, whatever it's called. They basically just built shows around all of our personal information. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I feel like Facebook Watch is them watching us. <laughs> <laughs> These are all very interesting. As is yet another episode in the books of Uncivil Procedure. Uh, Nicholas A. Long, Senior Director of Legal Operations at Reed Smith, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. This has been interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it lived up to your dreams. Oh, and Julie is my favorite. Yay! Yay! Cut! <laughs> it's fine. Thanks for listening to another episode of Uncivil Procedure, and a big thanks to our Relativian panelists, Constantine Pappas, Julie Huner, and Jessica Gallant, and our guest, Nick Long of Reed Smith. Our host was David Horrigan, our sponsor was FTI, and thanks to a few folks who made Uncivil Procedure possible and civil. Nicholas Matijic and April Rumpf, sound and recording engineers. Sam Bach and Christia Sparza were the masterminds behind some of our material. Tammy Yosisovic is our casting director. Carl Sandrell created our theme music. Gus Tsatsakis created our visual brand. Brendan Ryan is our podcast creator and executive producer. Sean Gaines is our podcast marketing overlord. And I'm Anna Cernian, your David Horrigan Wrangler. And we'll see you next time on Uncivil Procedure. Continue the Uncivil Procedure conversation on social media via Twitter and Instagram. Just follow us at UncivPropodcast. Tag your thoughts with the hashtag UncivilProcedure. And connect with our panelists in the Uncivil Procedure discussion group on the Relativity community. And what we have determined that Eminem Mars was not. A, I thought Eminem Mars was a merger. <gasps> We've determined that it was not, right? I that reaction means that this is good. This is good for recording. So yeah. Let's just stop. Yeah. Let's get going. You basically it. just said the answer to the to truth and a lie. Oh no! Sweet swag. <laughs> <laughs>